You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen, amen. Well, we are in Romans chapter 13, and I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to say anything offensive or controversial, but this text is all about the government, obeying the government, and taxes. And everybody said... Here we go. Um, This really is, we've talked about this, the the first part of Romans has to do with what Jesus did and in effect what the gospel is for us and how you become uh, a Christian. Uh, And then it's teaching us how to live as Jesus followers, as Christians, as disciples in the world. And part of that has to do with how do we be good citizens uh, in the government. And so Paul is going to be very, very practical in showing us as Christians how we're supposed to engage uh, as citizens under Underneath the government, and some of the things that he says might surprise you. Uh, before we jump in, I think it's only fair to set a few uh, ground rules, or maybe to give a little bit of an explanation uh, about why we do what we do, and really kind of how we pre- why we preach uh, how we preach. Uh, if you've been around Redeemer, you know that we love to uh, open up books of the Bible and preach through those books beginning to end. We don't always do that. Uh, sometimes we'll hit pause and we'll uh, do some topical sermons, but even those topical sermons were, are preached from the Word of God, uh, because we are after what Paul refers to as the full counsel of God. Uh, if you remember the story, I believe it was Acts 20, Paul was headed back to Jerusalem for the last time, knowing he was going to be imprisoned, and he stops by Ephesus to visit some of the elders from a church that he planted, and he told them basically, listen, my hands are clear because I did not shrink back from declaring to you the full counsel of God, meaning I want you to know everything that you can about who God is and what he likes, what he dislikes, uh, what his uh, will for the earth is what his will for you is, what sin is like. It was Paul saying, I want you to know God so much, I want you to know the good, the bad, and the difficult. And, and, and we have the same heart. We want you to know who God is, what he feels, what he uh, loves, what he hates. Uh, and we think the best way to do that is to have a steady diet of the Word of God where we walk through books of the Bible. Uh, because if you normally just do 100% topical, uh, what a lot of people do is they tend to just kind of go towards very easy texts. Uh, if you just do topical, you're not going to find a whole lot of people saying, hey, y'all, come on, we're having a series. It's called Obey the Government and Pay Your Taxes. Right, because it's just not as fun, but it's incredibly helpful, and we need to know the full counsel, what God thinks about us as Christian citizens. If you go to Mardell's, you're just rarely going to find a t-shirt or a mug that has some of these verses on it, but they're in the Bible, and they're in the Bible for a reason, uh, and some of you might be tempted, maybe many of us, you're tempted, especially with this text, to think, you know, this, this text is probably a, a little bit outdated because, I mean, you don't understand the American government. It's, it's corrupt. Uh, they're not doing what they should do. Uh, our taxes are inflated. They're inefficient with uh, the way that they spend things and maybe have a list of reasons why uh, maybe this doesn't apply to us. And can, can I be honest? I ask that periodically, and regardless of what you say, I try to be honest. I, I can probably get on board with almost all of that, but... I will say this, the, the, the country that we live in is much better than the Roman Empire under Nero where Paul wrote this letter. 
So are all those things true? Yeah, perhaps, but I guarantee you that the Roman Empire was more abusive, uh, more anti-Christian. There was no voting. There was no voice. It was a difficult place to live. And that is the context that Paul writes what we are about to read. I love the Bible. Uh, Obviously, that's kind of my calling and my job, but the the Bible is just such a a wildly practical book. It's a book for reality. Uh, Paul isn't writing Romans 13 to some Christians that live in some far-off land where the government is perfect and very easy to submit to. He's writing this to very broken, imperfect governments and Christians that are living inside of reality, okay? So this is what we are jumping into. If you are in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, say ready. This is God's Word. If you have a copy, follow along. If not, this will also be on the screen here for you. Paul says, let every person, how many? How many? Okay. I just want to make sure none of you think, well, except for me, <laughs> like, I, you know, that person probably, this person maybe, I, I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. So Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is, and that's already like rubbed Americans and Texans and West Texans the wrong way, right? We need to understand why on earth Paul is saying that. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good." And you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of the conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes." For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing, so pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Uh, To fully understand what Paul is trying to to do and why he's trying to uh, steer us in a certain way in this text, I think we have to zoom out quite a bit and understand what God's purpose is for government. Uh, Maybe you've never stopped to think that government is actually uh, God's idea. Uh, So let me zoom out for just a moment because I think if we drop this text into a good context of what God is trying to do, it makes a lot more sense. Okay, so God's plan for uh, all things, creation, cosmos, and especially humanity, is that he created a good and a perfect world, and then he created uh, man and woman and imprinted his image uh, into humanity that sets us apart from all other creation and and left us on the creation to enjoy everything, uh, to enjoy relationships, to enjoy marriage, to enjoy food, to enjoy sex, to enjoy uh, kids, uh, to enjoy work, to enjoy raising 
animals to enjoy farming, uh, all without the, the, the effects of sin and the brokenness of sin. Uh, and then sin enters into the picture, uh, and it really kind of sends this shockwave that permeates and it breaks every element of, of your life. Like there's not a part of your life that has not been affected and marred by sin. Marriages have been affected by it. Uh, Friendships have been affected by it. Uh, Souls have been affected by it. Our engagement with food has been broken by it. Our engagement with sex has been affected by it. Uh, it, it, The brokenness of sin, which we've talked about so often, the essence of sin is not just simply messing up a little bit. Right, the essence of sin, and you see this in the beginning of Genesis, it's a, it's a rebellion against God's, uh, God's order. It's a rebellion against God's authority. The essence of sin is not just that we kind of messed up and I, you know, I, the speed limit was 65 and I accidentally went 67. Uh, the essence of sin is that humanity has rebelled and said, God, I don't want your rules. I want to make my own rules. I don't want you to be my authority. I want me to be my authority. And that fracture has permeated everything. And then the Bible is the story of Jesus redeeming or putting back together, getting things back into the original state that he wanted to. And he's doing that in a handful of different ways. But uh, obviously through the plan of Jesus that was laid out in Genesis 3 when the first sin ever happened, God makes a promise and we see this uh, unveiling that Jesus is going to come. And for some people, not all people, for for people who respond personally, one-on-one to the gospel, actually confess their sin to Jesus, put their faith in him as a savior, that he will totally redeem them, remove the curse, and reinstill them at some point into creation as he designed it to be. That's the future for every Christian that is coming. Um, But also, you see a lot of ways in which God gives common grace to all people. And and there's shadows where he's trying to uh, push things back to the garden and back to the way that he has designed things to be. And you see after the fall uh, and after sin entered, after evil entered humanity, after destruction began to mar things, that God put four restraints for evil. And I want to unpack these just for a moment. The first uh, restraint that God put in for evil, because evil and destruction goes against his design, is the conscience, okay? We talked about this in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2. Paul phrases it this way. He says, God has written his law on our hearts, right? So regardless of whether you've ever read the Bible or know anything about the Bible, and this is true across the planet, there's, just, there, there's something that God instilled. It's like this, this internal mechanism that goes off and sends this warning sign when you violate God's commands. That, that's, it's God just put it inside the soul of people to restrain evil, so if you do something evil, even if you've never read on a page or never, maybe somebody's never told you that was sin, something inside of you trips like, that was not good. I shouldn't have done that. I, Paul says because of that, uh, that men are without excuse, that every human being at some point knows internally that there is a God and he has a standard and we don't meet it. That's why your kids, when they mess up, even if you have never told them, they know they know, right? (laughs) Like they do something and they run and hide because they have tripped that internal sensor and their conscience can tell them that lying is wrong, that hitting is wrong, that uh, whatever it is is wrong. But there's a way in which that we can feel our conscience if we do something that violates God's commands. Uh, We we just kind of stuff it. 
or, or what the Bible says, we sear it with a hot iron that you can violate your conscience enough um, that you don't feel it much anymore. So that's the first restraint that God put. The second restraint is actually the family. Uh, it's God's design for the family um, to help restrain evil and destruction. Uh, parents uh, are, are designed by God to instruct their kids, to give wisdom to their kids, to tell them what's right and wrong, what's good and evil, and then to enforce that through discipline. Why? So that we restrain evil. Okay, and I think we would all agree that we could see some things happening in our culture, and something I read uh, this week I think testifies to that. It says, if a society sees families break and fail here, talking about uh, teaching the truth and disciplining that, then society will see a rise in evil and destruction. Um, because part of God's design is for the family to restrain evil, to teach kids what is right and what is wrong so that they grow up uh, doing more of what is right, less of what is wrong. Y'all with me? The conscience, number one, the family is part of God's common grace uh, for restraining evil. Number three is the church. Uh, eventually, you find out that if, if, if the conscience is the, the internal voice, uh, then the church is the external voice. Uh, we're supposed to be a voice in the world, in the community, and especially to the government and to political leaders, which has always caused the church problems when they tell the truth to people in power. It's necessary, and yet it's difficult, but that's one of the roles that we play in society, to be salt and light and to tell the truth, um, to tell from God's perspective with the authority of this book what is good and what is evil. The church helps with that. We, we, we get to tell the world and be the messengers, but we also get to preach a message that there is forgiveness of sin and that the Holy Spirit can actually break the power of sin in your life. And so the church is a gift from God to help restrain evil in the world. Uh, and obviously in our world, the church is getting less and less of a voice. Uh, and so if uh, the consciences are seared, if families are falling apart, uh, if churches are either being marginalized or just abandoning the gospel on their own, you, you will see a rise in evil and destruction. And the fourth one is the government. And this one might surprise you, but if you look at the first few chapters of your Bible, what you will find is, is humanity without government, and it's not good. This is basically everyone had their own truth, what was right for them, and everyone had the ability to do what was right, it says, in their own eyes and to enforce that, and it, 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 it turned into chaos. Uh, there was just a long series of sin and hurt and betrayal and trying to get even until it got so bad that God was like, oh, I'm, I'm done. I regret ever doing this uh, because this evil has so permeated, I'm just going to wipe it all out and start over, and that's like... What you have from the beginning to the flood is humanity without government. And some of you are like, I didn't think government was that good. There's a very important place that God has given the government to restrain evil. So immediately after the flood, uh, you can look at this in your Bible in Genesis chapter 9, uh, God lays the foundation for what would become basically human and civil government, and he gives them what we're looking at and reading about in Romans 13, um, really what he calls the right to bear the sword or the authority to protect citizens and to punish evil and to encourage good. Okay, that was given after the flood to restrain evil. So the two big roles of government are to protect people by punishing 
evil and encouraging good. They have been given the authority by God to enforce laws, uh, to protect citizens, and in Genesis 9, to punish evil up to and including the death penalty. You can go read it. I believe it's in verse 5, 6, and 7 in Genesis 9. Uh, But then also what Paul says to to do good, that they, they're they to encourage. And I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I do think it's worth mentioning that there's a lot of disagreement about what that means. The, the Christians disagree with, well, how on earth is, is the government supposed to punish evil and encourage good? Okay? On one side of the spectrum, you have people that basically say, well, uh, the government uh, promotes good just simply by punishing evil and then letting people do what they want to do, very much in favor of a very, very small, limited government. And then on the other side that you've got uh, this mentality that the government exists to punish evil and encourage good by getting uh, very involved and trying to uh, actively go after the, the, the physical welfare, financial welfare, uh, marital welfare, whatever it might be, and actually get very involved, believe in a very big active government. Um, I will say this, I think it's dangerous to get on any, any side of that pole, and there's probably a lot of disagreement from people um, that love Jesus, love the Bible, and, and the Bible's just not incredibly clear about how exactly the government is supposed to do that. So I've got my own ideas. Uh, I'm sure you've got your ideas about uh, how the government should go about doing that. Uh, I'm not going to get into that here. That's not the purpose of this, and I'm probably going to get in enough, tr- enough trouble as is, so we'll keep moving. So what what is Paul telling us as Christians who are like desperately wanting to be faithful to Jesus? What is he telling us to do? I'm glad you asked. Go back to verse 1 in Romans chapter 13, and we'll work our way uh, through this. Uh, As responsible Christians that are living inside of, of reality or underneath the government that is not perfect, but still it's one of the mechanisms that God has chosen for the restraint of evil, how are we supposed to live. Verse 1, he says, be subject. Everybody say, be subject. You got to get more excited than that, right? Be subject. Do you know what that means? Yes, you do, and I do, and that's probably why we don't like it. But this very literally, it means to, uh, to place yourself under and to obey, which most human beings have a problem with. Agreed? Like most of us have a problem with any kind of authority, and yet it's ironic that that's what got us into this mess in the first place. We're like, I don't like God's authority. I don't want to put myself under him. I want to be equal to him, and that's what's caused the mess all to begin with, right? So like there's this, the the way of, of, of the Christian is like truly, it's a way of submission to many things, I mean, we're called to submit to the government. You're called to submit to church leaders. You're called to submit uh, wives to your husbands. And then later on in that same chapter, husbands to your wives. And uh, kids submit to uh, the parents. And we have just the kind of this calling to try to be, be humble and to put ourselves under rather than to put ourselves over. So the first, if you're, if you're a Christian and we're trying to be more Christian than we are American, which is important for us to do, and I think if, if, we're, if we're more Christian than we are American, we're actually better Americans. We're better citizens if we're Christians first. So if you want to be more Christian than American, you have to let Romans 13 dictate how you operate in the world more than anything else. And it says to be subject. 
to place yourself under or to obey uh, the government or the civil authorities. Uh, So then the begging question is why? And Paul answered that. He says, because uh, God instituted the government. God is the one who came up with this idea to restrain evil. So governments exist to uh, help uh, accomplish his purpose. And it would be very bad without the government. Some of y'all, like, that's your dream, right? (laughs) Uh, If you're a student of history, you know uh, when governments fall, chaos ensues very quickly. That's just how it is. So it's part of God's design to keep people and countries and groups from falling into chaos to have a government where we all uh, submit to to the leaders. Uh, Does that mean governments are perfect? Everybody said no. That is not the qualifier, okay? So what does it mean to obey and put yourself under it? Why? Because that's the structure that God has designed. And then I do want to answer this question because this is the question that it, it comes up naturally Potentially, it's going to come up more and more over this, uh, these next few years and decades. Are there any instances when the, when the Christians should defy the government? Okay, is Paul just saying, it doesn't matter what they do, what they say, just do what the government says? And let me give you a few reasons that are not okay? Not reasons to defy the government, which are normally what we, you know, what, what I hear and probably what our gut reaction is. Uh, well, I should probably submit to the government unless I don't like what they're saying. Is that, is that a good reason? Everybody say no. <laughs> uh, and unless it comes from the, the other party, you know, the person I didn't vote for, it comes from them, well, obviously, then I'm not supposed to put no. That, well, what if my buddy on Facebook says I should be outraged by this and stand up? No. There's two reasons that Christians are not just, it's not just optional, but it's mandated for us, and these, these two are very, very simple. Number one, if the government commands something that God forbids, okay? Biblical example, there's actually quite a few. You all know the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, uh, commonly known as? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they were commanded by their government um, to bow down, by, by political leaders to bow down and worship an idol. The government was commanding them to do something that God had forbid. And they said, very respectfully, we cannot do that. Okay, so they, they, they defied the government. So if a season comes up, and I, I honestly believe in, in some measure in this next season, this is probably coming for Christians in America where we are commanded to do things that God forbids. And that's an instance where we very uh, politely uh, are, have to choose whether we're going to obey God or the government. And the second instance is if not, not just if the government commands something God forbids, but if the government forbids something that God commands. You know this story probably, the beginning of Acts. Jesus had risen from the dead, given the Great Commission, ascended to heaven, and the church got real busy uh, getting to work, making disciples, sharing the gospel, and the government said, you got to knock it off. You have to stop talking about Jesus. You have to stop preaching. You have to stop sharing the gospel. And they very respectfully said, uh, I'm sorry, but if you're going to force us to choose to obey, we are going to obey God, not you. That's the two caveats that Christians are uh, called to deny the government. Everything else, we are called to submit and to obey. Verse 3, go down a couple verses. Uh, not just are we as citizens called to, um, to be subject to the government, but we are called in verse 3 to do what is good. 
Okay, to do what is good. And Paul is talking about authorities, and he's talking about uh, basically like, like a, police, a police force or, or, or agents of the government that exist to enforce the law. Paul is saying, listen, you're going to get in less trouble if you're probably not out making trouble. Uh, if you're out trying to do good as a citizen, chances are the cops aren't going to come after you, right? That's what he's saying. Are there instances where that happens? Yes. Are there, are there instances where uh, somebody is innocent, minding their own business, and they get in trouble? Yes, very few, very far between, apparently in the Roman Empire, even in America. So what, is, what are we supposed to do as Christians? Uh, to do what is good, to be godly citizens, to be a good example of what, like just a lifestyle of, of Christianity in the world. One of the best ways that we can be a witness to the world and to the government is to be good people, which is right, what we're after anyway. I mean, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to be like Jesus and to do good in the world. And Paul is saying that if you want to navigate, uh, it's very wise to, to try to uh, devote some of your time to doing good. Number three, uh, this is verse uh, six and seven. He talks about paying what is owed. Uh, and he mentions four things. I'm going to put these in two different categories. Uh, he says taxes and revenue, uh, give taxes where taxes are owed and revenue where, where revenue is owed. And then he also says uh, respect and honor, okay? Uh, so let's talk about taxes. Everybody say taxes. See, if we did a topical sermon, nobody would come. If we promoted on Facebook, hey, we're so excited. We're doing a study on paying your taxes. Y'all would like find a vacation to go on or like, you know, get sick or something. But here it is. And we need to know God's thoughts on taxes. Here's the irony of taxes. Are y'all ready for this? Do you like taxes? No. Do I like taxes? Is not a trick question. No, I don't. I do not like paying taxes. Uh, the irony is, is this is what I, I catch myself saying this. I hear people say this all the time. We want better schools. We want better roads. We want better bridges. We want better health care. We want uh, better police. We want better fire departments. And we want lower taxes. And at some point, like, that's tough. <laughs> we want everything to be much better and we don't want to pay for it, right? Does that mean that taxes are fair in the United States? No, my hunch is that it's probably more fair than it was for the Christians listening to this in the Roman Empire, okay? So what am I saying? Am I saying that taxes are fair? No. Uh, am I saying that we should enjoy paying taxes? No. But I think we should step back and be incredibly grateful for what we have, I mean, one of the most incredible infrastructures the world has ever seen. I mean, the, the, the roads and the schools and the things that we have are, are incredible. So are the taxes overdoing it? Maybe, uh, probably, but we should still be very grateful for what they have because this is what Paul is saying. He says, pay your taxes because that's what's allowing the government um, to do what they want to do and what they need to do. So he says, uh, pay your taxes. And I'm just saying this, maybe you disagree. If we paid 1% of taxes, we would still not like taxes. Agreed? So at some point, we're like, yeah, fight for taxes if you've got a pathway to do that legally. Praise God. Go for it. Also, be grateful for what we have. Pay our taxes. Okay? Some of you are like, you don't even have to preach that because we don't even get the option. They just take it. 
pay your taxes, revenue, uh, and, and really as Christian citizens, we should be grateful for what we have in the United States. But then he says, uh, respect and honor, which is not just, like you can pay taxes and, and be disrespectful and dishonoring, right? So one has to do with an action, and one has to do with an attitude. He says, give, give respect where respect is owed, give honor where honor is owed. And, and, and you know this, again, this is not new to you. The Bible talks a lot about giving honor and giving respect to people. And many times when it does, it's not tethered to whether you like that person or not. It's tethered to their value as a human being, okay? A few examples. Uh, honor your father and your mother Okay, and, and actually, before I go through this, we live in a culture that seems to value disrespect and dishonor. Maybe it's just social media, <laughs> but like it's like become this cool thing to dishonor and disrespect uh, folks that you disagree with. Uh, and the way of Jesus is very, very different than that. Uh, you can disagree, uh, but you can't dishonor. So we're called to honor father and mother. There's scripture that talks about honoring authority, uh, the honoring in Hebrews, uh, church leaders and pastors, honoring all people. It's in there. Peter says very specifically, honor the emperor. Do y'all know what the emperor of Rome was guilty of? Bad stuff. And yet Paul says, listen, Peter, Peter says, listen, you don't have to agree with them, but they deserve honor. So can we disagree with Government with political leaders, absolutely. And I think it's important to, to, to call out if they're lying, to disagree with uh, policies that are ungodly, but there is a way to do that that is dishonorable, and there is a way to do that that is honorable. Paul is not saying just agree with everything and go along. He's, n- he's not saying that, but he is saying be very careful, Christian in the world, that you don't dishonor the authorities, and so I just want to lay that before us to ask us to, to think through that because how, how can you, what does it look like to disagree with and dishonor an authority? It looks like, you know, memes that are very dishonoring and disrespectful to uh, people, to human beings. It means uh, calling names, saying disrespectful, dishonoring things. Paul's saying, like, that's off, that's off the table. That's not how Christians are designed to be a witness of Christ in the world. But we can sure stand up and we can sure uh, make our voice heard and we can sure tell the truth and do it in an honoring way. Are y'all with me? That's, that's the high road. That, that's the high road that, 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 that Jesus, through Paul in chapter 13, is calling us to do. And that, that stands out, I think, in the culture. That gives Christians a much stronger voice if we disagree in a respectful and honoring way. I think, I don't have a whole lot to, to prove this, but I think that that was a difference in the Roman Empire. I think the Christians that obviously did not agree with Emperor Nero and his policies, yet they disagreed with respect and honor and would eventually win over thousands and thousands of people to the cause of Christ, not just in what they did, but the way that they did it, not just their actions, but their attitudes. We, we live in a culture that is it's, it's disrespectful, dishonoring, and Christians are called to be people of respect, uh, people of honor. 
Number four, so three, one, two, and three is be subject, put yourself under the government. Two, do what is good. Three, pay what is owed. And number four, it's actually not in here, and so I'm telling you this is just my personal opinion uh, because we live in a place that's a governmental structure that's foreign to the Bible, right? There's no commands in the Bible. You can't look in here about what, how to vote. Why? It was no democracy, this was reality for them. They lived in, a, in, an imp, in an empire with a dictator, and so this was teaching them how to function in reality. Okay, so just my thoughts are uh, how should Christians be involved in the world, in the government, and number four is just that, to be involved. Why? Because our government has given us the ability to do that. Uh, to vote for things, for Christians to run for office, for our voice to be heard, to get very involved. And the first century Christians, like, they didn't have that option, right? There's nothing in the Bible about it because they didn't have the option. So I think if there was an extra chapter written to American Christians, it would say something like, yeah, be subject, yes, do what is good, yes, pay what is owed, but also get involved because they've given you the ability to do that. So vote be, be aware, vote your conscience, vote the word and the values of God, uh, pray, talk, share, be involved. Uh, I, I want to close in this way because, and this, give me a minute because this may sound controversial at first, just thought we should ruffle some feathers. The best government structure is a monarchy, right? It, the, the, the best government structure is a monarchy if... And only if the monarch or the dictator has absolute complete power and is absolutely completely good. And that then becomes the problem. Okay? That, that it, it describes heaven. Do y'all know heaven is a monarchy? <laughs> this is important. If you show up and you're trying to vote on things in heaven, <laughs> you're going to be like, what the heck? I thought this was <laughs> democracy. No. Jesus isn't a president. He's not a committee member. He's what? He's a king. He's a monarch. He rules and he reigns. Why is that good? Why is the government of heaven set up like a monarchy? Because that's the thing. If the monarch or the dictator is all powerful and all good, that's why monarchies only end well when Jesus is at the top, right? Because you insert any other human being, and if they have too much power, they're just not perfectly good. And so I, I really believe, like, the best, obviously, that's the best because that's what is going to happen in glory with Jesus forever. Isaiah talks about this. Jesus isn't just a Savior. He is that. He isn't just a lamb. He is that. He is a king that will rule over a government. Isaiah talks about it. It says uh, on, on his government, on, the gov on his shoulders will be the government. Uh, Isaiah says of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Jesus is a king, and he makes the decisions. There's no votes, and it's all good because he is good, but we live in reality in a broken world where if you put anybody else, give somebody, uh, remove checks and balances, it, it just tends to not go well. So my personal opinion is that the best government on, on planet Earth without Jesus in charge is, is what we have. And, and you're free to disagree with that. I understand that. But I think if you look at world history, what we have in the United States has given people the most, the, the best chance at justice. Are there problems with it? Yes. But this is the best, I think, earth has ever seen. The, the, the best opportunity at peace, the best opportunity at prosperity. Like, if, if, if we could get the best out of government, 
I just, I think this is about it. And so are all Americans walking around just incredibly happy and satisfied? No. Why? Because many of us are expecting something from the government that can only be given by God. If you expect the government to be your Savior, you will be very frustrated, very angry, very disappointed. But if you let the government be the imperfect government and do what they're supposed to do and let Jesus' government and Him as Savior function how He's supposed to function, it's just going to go a lot better for us. I've read this quote from C.S. Lewis in my life quite a few times, in, in this church quite a few times, but I've never applied it to the government, but I think it does. Now, this is what C.S. Lewis says, and many of you have heard this before. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And we can even apply that a lot of places. I think it very directly, like, if, if this is the best we can do and we're all frustrated, what should that tell us? It shouldn't tell us we need to keep going and we'll iron out all the kinks in government here real soon. We're about to just crush it out of the parking lot. No, it means that we're longing for the kingdom of God. Like, we're longing for a kingdom where there's actually perfect justice where there's perfect peace, where there's perfect unity and our frustration with the best that we can do, and does that mean we shouldn't try to get better? No. But it means like there's something inside of us that longs for a, a kingdom and a government that we know exists somewhere in our heart. We believe it exists. That's why we're frustrated when we don't have it and when we don't see it. So I want to allow us to, to allow the government to be imperfect and not to, to lean on the government to do what only Christ can do. And, I th- and that's the government, like they, they want to be your savior. They just do. They peddle in fear so that they will be our savior. And I'm just saying, don't, don't bite. Let Jesus be your savior and let the government do what God has called them to do. If we take our cues from the Word of God. We let the Holy Spirit shape us. We let uh, the Holy Spirit humble us. We let the Word of God direct us in how we're going to live our lives. Uh, We seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I think it's going to make us better Americans, better citizens, better neighbors. And so this is what the Holy Spirit has called us to do, to submit to the government, uh, to trust God with the outcome, and to only lean on Jesus as our Savior, as our security, as our hope, and to find our ultimate, our ultimate security, our, ultimately, our ultimate hope and identity in Christ. And the day is coming, like I'm, I'm relieved for the day when we're not voting. Jesus is just ruling and reigning, and it's peace and prosperity and unity forever and ever. That's the story for those who have responded to the gospel. So if that's not you, let me invite you to respond to the gospel. Jesus died in the place of sinners to save, uh, to forgive, to redeem, and he does that through sinners who repent and believe. That's the, that's the terminology of the Bible, to confess that we're, we're sinners, we're broken, we're rebellious at, at nature, and Jesus has, has died to save us by grace through faith. It's a free gift. Give your heart to Jesus. Give your sin to Jesus. Ask him to be your savior. Ask him to be your king, and he promises that he will. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. 
If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.